You are listening to For His Glory, a sermon series exploring God's grace in the book of Romans, preached by Dr. Trent Stewart. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com. Well, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to Romans 15. Uh, We've been in a series uh, going through the book of Romans for several weeks now. Uh, This is like 46, I think. Um, And so we're in chapter 15. Greg, thanks for mentioning the beard today. Um, Everybody's been asking me about this. Some of you are new. You don't know this. So this is kind of new for me the last two weeks. And um, so what I've been telling people, because everybody's asking me, is like, I'm going to be Joseph in the Christmas play this year. So we're not having a Christmas play at our church. But that's just what I'm saying, just to mess with people. And, and I'm saying, like, Greg is going to be the wise man, or a wise man, and, and Brandon's going to be the shepherd, you know, abiding in the flock by, by the whatever. And then, and then since James refuses to grow facial hair, he's going to have to be Mary. <laughs> he's Mary. I mean, that's just it. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, verse 1. Let's, let, I, actually, before we go there, before I read, I do want to I, I, I connect 14. Um, We've been talking about all chapter 14 about how um, God's not calling all of us to agree upon every single opinion. There are some essentials to our faith that we must all agree upon, God's word being the foundation for that truth. Uh, but then there are opinions about various things um, that we, the, the scripture tells us that in those disagreements, when our opinions differ, uh, he's talking to us about how we're supposed to relate and interact and behave with each other when those things happen. And so we learn, you know, judging each other, despising each other, those are the incorrect way to behave and act. And, and what we're going to see today um, is not just the practical how we're supposed to treat one another, but we're going to see that how we treat one another, in fact, reveals our very view of God. And, and, and really the, the, the essential thing that we've got to get is that how we behave and how we interact uh, really is more about the meaning and purpose of life. I mean, it's that big. Like the meaning and the, and the purpose of why we are even here on this planet really is connected to how we interact with one another in disagreements and in, in just relationships in general. And so... When we come to this idea, sometimes it's a little, it's, it could be a little bit difficult, but, but sometimes, you know, we want to win the argument and the disagreement. We want to, we want to win and be right. Uh, we want to be loud in arguments. And, and, and trust me, the world and all of us have experienced the wrong way to interact with, with one another when we have a disagreement, haven't we? I mean, no, we, we've all kind of dealt with that. It kind of looks like this picture here. When we're uh, arguing, uh, when we're fighting, sometimes it looks like that. And that's a picture of sin in the world and how we treat each other uh, in, the, in, in the incorrect way. And so what we're going to see today is this connection that, that when we argue and when we fight and when we, when we disagree inappropriately on these issues, um, the fact remains, in that decision, we in fact are wanting and desiring the glory for ourselves. So that when I fight, when I get loud, when I'm disrespectful, um, then, then really I'm doing that because I would rather have the glory of being the person that wins or being the person that looks like, you know, I'm smarter or wiser instead of giving the glory to God, which would mean that I would humble myself and apologize and uh, ask for forgiveness. 
I mean, that decision brings glory to God. Any other decision in a disagreement where we're disrespectful, where we're judging, despising all the negative things that we've talked about, then we are grabbing and robbing God of his glory because we would rather have the glory. So in your marriage, when you are, you know, you know at each other and you're, you're bickering and you're, you're fighting and you're disagreeing over things and, and uh, we're, not, we're not talking, we're, we're talking about non-essential things of salvation here. Remember, if you haven't listened to those sermons, go back online or podcast them uh, of chapter 14. But, but the, the reality is in our marriages, when we are at each other's throat and we are disrespecting, when we were, when we were going through that, we actually are robbing God of his glory. We're stealing his glory because we want the glory. We get that? So, so understanding that is, is, is really where we're at today. Um, the big idea, the, the really thing that I, I want you to grab today is this, and he's going to put it up. But we've been talking about those who are strong in their faith, those who are weak in their faith. Um, everybody in this room um, is stronger in your faith than somebody else. Um, you're stronger in your faith in some area, either people in this room or maybe people in this building. I mean, you might have to go to the, you know, the, the student ministry to, to find somebody that you're stronger than in your faith, or you might have to go to the kids ministry, but surely like there's a four-year-old over there that's running around in circles, you know, picking their nose, that your faith is stronger than his. And so that's the idea. You're stronger in some areas of your faith than someone else. So this is going to pertain to you. And then all of us in this room are weaker in some areas of our faith, uh, in some areas, and in, 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 in some are weaker in other areas, but we all come to the table at, on the same level at the foot of the cross, right? And so when we look at what the strong are called to do, and if anyone in here desires to be strong in their faith, then we must understand this, that we must um, lovingly walk with the weaknesses of the weak, with one voice proclaiming the glory of God. I mean, I'm going to unpack that for the rest of our time today, but that is it, that, that if you want to be strong in your faith, you're going to be willing to walk with the weaknesses of the weak, um, and you're going to be willing to, with one voice, pro, proclaim the glory of God. Let's look and see what this means and how this is fleshed out. Um, we who are strong, verse 1, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one Voice. That's the point here. With one voice, glorify God. That's the connection. That's the theology. That's the bottom line of how we interact and live with one another. It all comes back to our view of God. And if we have a motivation or a desire to give glory to our maker, our creator. So that's verse six. One voice, glory of God and father of our Lord Jesus. And then again in verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God of God. We don't, we don't just, you know, love people to be a nice guy. That's not motivation enough for me. Like, I don't really care about that sometimes. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. But if I know who God is and I have a concern for the glory of God, there is a deeper meaning and purpose before me and, and, and in me, and it, and it leads me to deal with people differently. 
because I want to bring glory to him. I was in, had the honor of being with my dad in Southern California this week, played Pebble Beach. For those of you that are golfers, it was the most amazing experience ever. And I loved it on dad's credit card, by the way, not mine. So that was the best part. Um, they make you have a caddy on, on the course, and so, which was great for me because I'm not that good of a golfer. So he's like, you know, I'm reaching for a club. He's like, nah, man, I would go for this. I would do this, and I would hit it up here, and I would do this, and he would show us how to putt. It was, it was just great. We played with this um, you know, guy from Southern California. He's a millionaire, and, and this was like a Christian man, um, but then many pastors were at this conference, and um, <clears throat> he was at a church about our um, age of a church. It was, it was less than five years, and um, he was talking to me about, in Southern California, the average age of marriages uh, is two years. And so, like, two years or less, marriages are ending. So at his church, the, the pastors get up, and not, not long ago, he said, they said, hey, if you've been married longer than two years, we need you to serve as mentors to those uh, in our church, because you guys have figured something out, and we want to learn from you. <laughs> I'm like, two years? I was a train wreck at two years, you know, in my marriage. So it looked to me many years. To, but like, that was it. So he was asking me, what is the problem? Mark, he was like saying our country is losing the value of family and marriage and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I was already in this passage. So I, I was like, yes, but the very motivation for, for, for staying in your marriage is not to be a good guy or, or for the kids or, you know, it would, um, I don't want to be known as the person that's, that's not motivation enough. I mean, the only true motivation that will allow you to stay married and not just stick it out, but like have a healthy marriage is if you have a proper understanding of, of God and, and that there is a motivation inside your heart to give glory to this God. If there is no motivation or desire to give glory to God, there will be no motivation to stay married and, 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 and to sacrifice in that marriage. There's no real reason for you to be honest in your business if, if, if the glory of God is not somewhere, you know, as a motivating force in your life. See, it all points back to the glory of God. The reason why we exist in this world and live on this planet is to give glory to God. If we are missing that, we are missing the purpose of life. We were talking about it in base camp today. Some people try to, you know, become happy through possessions, through power, through money, through immorality. All these pathways they are thinking going to bring them happiness and contentment, but God has created this world and wired us in such a way that none of that will give you peace and satisfaction and true happiness in this life. It is, it is about giving glory to God. And if you're missing that today, you're missing the very essence of why we are here. Verse eight, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, basically the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And here's the second purpose, in order that the Gentiles, you and me, might glorify God. Again, we see glory all over the place today in our scripture for his mercy. And then he goes into some Old Testament scripture. I'm going to get there in just a moment. But I want to give you a few things. There's two things that stick out here. Um, if you want to be strong in your faith, this is, this is what you've got to do. First and foremost, you've got to be willing to help people grow. You've got to be willing to help yourself grow. And you've got to be willing to help people grow. If you are weak, or, let, me, let me just back up here. If, if you're not strong in your faith, then you're not concerned about this. You don't care about people growing. 
Men, if you're married, you're, you're not concerned if your wife is growing spiritually. You're not concerned about your kids growing spiritually. You're not concerned about our church growing spiritually. It's just basically all about you. If you're strong in your faith, then you're going to have a concern for, for wanting to see other people built up or, or, or to grow. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, we're ba- uh, bearing with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let, it, let each of us please his neighbor for, for our neighbor's good to build him up, to build him up, to see him grow, to see him know Jesus, see him grow in Jesus, to see him, see him understand Jesus. So that is our motivating force to see other people grow. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let me ask you, who are you helping grow? Who are you encouraging to grow? You say, my kids, I'm, 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 I really want to see them grow. Good. That's awesome. What about your spouse? Who, what about somebody in the, in the church? Do you want to, who do you and how are you helping someone grow? You can't claim to be strong follower of Jesus if you're not concerned about seeing people built up and encouraging them to grow. Here's what it means. If you're a small group leader, if you're pursuing that, uh, any kind of um, Bible teacher, any kind of I want to you know, help other people grow, here are the things that you know to be true and that must take place. Th- four things real quick. Number one, there is a willingness to love people in their mess. Ministry is messy. Hey, I'm just telling you, if you're the kind of person that only wants to be with perfect people, you're in the wrong place. If you think that you're going to help people grow um, only when they're perfect, you're, 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 man, you're, you're missing it. I mean, what if Jesus came to you and, and was like, Lance, the only way that you're going to come to me, I'm, I want to make you a child of God, Lance, but the only way that that's going to happen is if you clean yourself up and get perfect. Trent, I'll save you, but you got to quit being an idiot. <laughs> Just ask my wife. It has not happened yet. <clears throat> If you can't love the alcoholic only when he's sober. You know, we, we are called to love people in their mess. The very, like, I mean, this is, this is just what Jesus did. Despite our mess, the Bible says, despite the fact that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this, this, this driving passion in Jesus to love others despite their mess. You've got to be willing to get messy with other people in their life and what's going on. Um, You can't just expect people to be perfect. The second thing that that must happen if you want to be strong in your faith, help people grow, is that you're willing to do life with people who frustrate you. Because if you're helping people grow, it's going to frustrate you. Because you're always, you know, I want you to grow and I'm teaching and I'm, 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 I'm investing and I'm pouring myself out and I'm, I'm trying to help them see. And then they go and they do something completely sinful and stupid. And you're like, why would you do that? It's so frustrating. I want to help you. But then you leave, you know, you can't even come to small group on time. You can't even pray at small group. It's like all these things that frustrate us. I mean, just think about your kids. You want them to grow, but they frustrate you to no end, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, my kids aren't even teenagers yet and they're frustrating me. And it's like, it's only going to get worse, right? And so, so when you're helping someone grow, it's going to be frustrating. But sometimes the frustration, people just quit. You know, just check out. Your marriage is frustrated, so you're just going to check out. I'm not going to talk to her. I'm just going to put up a wall there and just act like she's not even there. 
want to help people grow. Some of you are in the youth ministry, you're working, you're, you're, you're diving into students, but you don't see them growing. You don't think they're learning. They're still acting immature and silly and you're frustrated. If frustration is the thing that's going to derail us, I mean, the enemy doesn't have to work very hard, does he? I mean, some of us call, you know, things, we blame the enemy for spiritual attacks in our life, but it's not really him. He doesn't have to work half the time. It's just naturally our stupidity and, and we're just frustrated. So we want to give up. If you want to help people grow, you've got to be willing to walk with them uh, even when they frustrate you. The next one is willing to ask questions to help people understand truth. So I don't know about you, but what I've learned over the course of my years in ministry is that I can't force feed the truth on people. You know, I can't just hammer the truth onto somebody and preach to them and, and just hammer, this is what the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, and just hammer, hammer. Because force feeding doesn't work, does it? I mean, you have to be willing to ask questions and, and understand and learn how to do that so that people begin to think, oh man, that's a good question. As they think, boom, the Holy Spirit has room to jump in and has room to work in their heart. I mean, I, I, my dad and my mom, man, they just pounded truth in me, but I was still rebellious. It wasn't until I began to, 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 to see a bigger picture and, and had these questions kind of prick my heart and the Holy Spirit began to change and move me. I mean, when my kids were little, my wife was amazing at like the nutritional kind of deal. And, you know, she made her own food sometimes and, and always made sure that there was like, if you have babies, you're, you're with me now. Uh, it's like you had the orange food, you know, like the squash and the carrots. And my kids were like, oh, yeah, that's good stuff. And then there was fruit. And the fruit, didn't matter what kind of fruit, my kids were like, oh, yeah, fruit, babies, loving fruit. But then there was the green food. So like, yeah, my wife always, you know, we've got to give them some green stuff. We got the orange we got the fruit. Always save that for last, by the way. And we got the green. So, so, so you got the broccoli and you got the green beans. It didn't matter what green vegetable it was. My kids hated it, hated it. And I just think like baby food, peas, that's child abuse. It's just wrong, you know? But if you've, but, but, but we knew they needed the green stuff. So what we do, we try to force feed. And what happens when you force feed? We got to learn to ask good questions to get people's minds to um, uh, understand, allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in someone's life. And, and so understanding God and, and, and being willing to ask those questions is huge. And then finally, the fourth thing, if, you're, if you want to help people grow, you've got to be willing to ask yourself the tough questions. Are you willing to ask yourself the tough questions? questions because I'm telling you, you're never going to change. Your marriage is never going to change. Your attitude, your anger problems, whatever it is that's going on in your life is never going to change until you begin to ask yourself the tough questions. And so, man, I'm just going to start with you and throw this out there. Are you the spiritual leader of your home? And how is that going? And, and, and I want to take it even a little bit further. And I want to challenge every man that is married in this room to go home tonight, before you go to bed tonight, to look your wife in the eyes and say, honey, how could I spiritually lead this family better? I'm going to challenge you to do that today. Because until you're willing to ask yourself the tough questions, you're not going to grow. Now, wives, your husband's going to you know, fillet his heart, just kind of open it up to you. Don't waylay him and bash him, you know, to no ends. Think about it. Pray about it. What's one area? Just think through that. Don't just like body slam his heart. And then he's like, oh, that Trent, I'm going to kill him. You know, I don't want to get blamed for it. Let's just have a friendly, remember chapter 14, you know, how to disagree. So 
Ask yourself the tough questions because those are the questions that are going to lead to spiritual growth in your life. You got to be willing to do that for yourself before you can even, you know, begin to ask those to other people. So important stuff. So number one, if you're taking notes to be strong, you got to be willing to help people grow. And secondly, you've got to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Look at verse one. Again, he, he, he really just starts this passage off with saying we have an obligation to bear with those who are weak, not to please ourselves. He says this isn't about pleasing yourself here. This is about pleasing someone else. And so the idea here, here is to become a person who, is, who gets more satisfaction by denying themselves than, than um, uh, getting everything that they want for themselves. And so are you the kind of person that would, would rather deny yourself for the benefit of other people? And are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to, to you know, give up what you would want and your preferences if it will help someone else grow? That is, that is the very battle that rages across churches across this country. I mean, if you've ever been to a church that just fights over music and it's like, we want it this way and we want it this way. And it's like, seriously, I don't care if it, I mean, if I, I, I want people to know Jesus, I, I, I want the younger crowd, you know, to be here. And so if that means we play the kind of music we have, whatever, in 20 years, I'm going to have to change. 20 years, you're going to have to change again. It's never going to end. I could stand on this and say, Chris Tomlin, he's the only one. Or, you know, Passion, Hillsong. But there'll be new people, you know. If I'm, if I'm worried about a preference, I am not spiritually strong. Do you hear that? So we get on our bandwagons of we need this ministry here. We need this. We need to dress or look or we need to have. And it's like, those are preferences. The Bible doesn't say we have to have certain nights of the week or whatever. We want to come to a place to where we would rather deny ourselves and get more pleasure out of seeing other people grow and benefit than getting everything that we want and getting everything that we desire. And our whole example here is Jesus. And this is who he points us to. Verse three, for Christ did not please himself. He didn't please himself. You're spiritually lead at home. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's about pleasing those around you and helping them grow. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on you. That just simply means other translations would say insult. So those that insulted Jesus, those insults were, were, were upon the Lord. Those insults that you receive about, because of your faith, those are falling on Jesus. Don't let those insults stop you from seeing people grow or wanting to see them grow around you. He says, Jesus did not please himself for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction and through your endurance and through your encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what he's saying here is that the very foundation of why we are concerned about the glory of God, why we behave certain ways, how it's connected to the glory of God is because this is scripture. This is what scripture tells us. And he says, this is what scripture does. It instructs us. Verse four. The Bible instructs us how to behave and how to act and how to live and how to know Jesus, how to, how to experience salvation, how to experience life to the fullest. Some of us think life to the fullest means that we get everything that we want. And that's just not what it means. Life to the fullest means that you've come to a place where you've realized that stuff doesn't matter. But bringing glory to God is the only thing that matters. And then contentment floods your heart. Then joy floods your heart. Then peace floods your heart. It's not like, oh, I'm experiencing the abundant life because I have a new boat and I've got a brand new house and a new job and all the material things that I've ever wanted. That is not the abundant life, bro. You're missing it. Abundant life is bringing glory to God and having contentment in your life, serving your family. 
instruction. Next, it gives us endurance. That through endurance, it says. So the scripture gives us endurance to to be able to um, continue to pursue God's glory in the midst of struggle and heartache. You know, you're dealing with heartache in your, in your life. You're dealing with struggles and, 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 and you're dealing with failures and you're dealing with I'm not good enough and you have all these things and the, and the scripture gives you the endurance to continue to pursue the glory of God. Then it says, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So again, the, the scriptures, they give us encouragement. Encouragement for, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me, this is why I'm doing this for the glory of God. I want to honor him. I want to serve him. I'm going to get frustrated. Yeah, but I want to come back to that fact that I've got to, I want to bring glory to God. That's my heart and p- passion. So my behavior is, is changing to bring him glory with one voice, he says. So that encouragement and then finally hope. So there's no hope in this world without Christ. There's no hope without Christ. In the scriptures where we learn and gain that hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God. That is, that, that's where we're at. That together we would be united. Together that, that we would be in one accord, in one voice, tuned in to Jesus and who he is. And, and if we all humble ourselves before Christ, then we'll see there's a level playing field that we agree on all the things that matter And the one thing that must matter and that must be here is that we desire to bring glory to him. And with one voice, we sing, you know, the, 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 about the famous one. We make Jesus famous. We, we sing and we talk and we lift up this name. No matter where you are tomorrow, Monday morning finds you, you bring glory to God. And that's our voice in one accord and one voice to the world. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, why do you, why do you make friends? Jesus welcomed us. He made friends with us. I'm a, I'm a friend of God, the Bible says. And why did he welcome me into the family? Because he wanted to bring glory to God. I mean, why are you, you know, the, the, there, there's no motivation for you to get any new friends. If you, I mean, like some of you have great families and you've got one or two buddies and you're cool with that and, and they're believers and, and so you're good and you're not pursuing any new friendships. And he's like, you know, kind of missing the point here that, that the glory of God is at stake here. Christ welcomed those who, who did not honor him or serve him for the glory of God. So that's why we say use Halloween for God's glory. It's, it's used for evil in our world and we get that. And some of you have rejected Halloween altogether and that's fine. But if you're going to dress up tomorrow, dress up for the glory of God. Go with people that you can glorify God together with and, and talk to God about. And make sure your kids know that we're dressing up here and, we, and then this is why and, and this is why we're, you know, we don't think this way. This is why you're going to see some pretty freaky stuff out there. But here's why, you know, you're Cinderella and not like Dracula, okay? Here's why we do this, you know? Explain to them. There's a difference here. We're, we're living and moving and breathing the glory of God. And so there's a reason behind everything that we do. And we want to see that reason as God. Look at verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. Again, he is our example. He didn't come to earth to be served. He came to serve. You don't get married to, to be served. You get married to learn how to be a servant. You know? 
He came for the Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs. And, 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 he, and he came for the Gentiles, you and I. So some people think that the Old Testament is the mean God and the New Testament is the, the gracious God. It's just ridiculous. <clears throat> he didn't like change his attitude. He was always a missionary sending, share, love, sending, follow me and experience joy, God, from Genesis to Revelation. Adam messed it up, centered the world. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see God, you know, wanting and, and seeing the salvation and redemption of Gentiles uh, available. It says this in, let's just read it. Verse nine, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol you. And again, in Isaiah, it says the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. This was always God's plan. He was never thrown a curveball and, oh man, scratching his head. What am I going to do now? I don't, I don't know. It's never possible. See, Jesus was on the first missionary journey of all time. I mean, this, this was it. Some of us are going to go to Haiti this winter. Some of us are going to go back in the spring to the Dominican Republic. I hope you go and get a part, uh, be a part of these experiences that will change your life. Um, but Jesus was our example. He, he was the first one to go on a mission, right? right? I mean, he le- leaves his home in heaven, his throne, his glory in heaven, and he comes to this world full of sin and full of grief and full of suffering. And he comes and he shows us the way. And it's the first journey. See, the mission of God is, 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 is present and real. And it, it really, let me unpack the mission of God for you. First of all, Jesus came to be a servant, okay? He, he came to be a servant. So our life ought to be wrapped around that truth. But then it says he, he came to show us that, that God always is truthful. Look, he says, uh, to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. So the mission of God here, Jesus came to show that, that God is truthful in what he says, that if you're, if, if, you know, we're all sinners and apart from Christ, we will suffer in hell when we die. That is, that is the truth. And, he's, and he comes and he shows us the truth that we can trust God. And then he says to confirm the promises that, in other words, Jesus came to show us that, that God always keeps his promises, that he's always truthful and that he always keeps his promises. And, and so we flip through the pages here and we don't, we don't see him break his promises to any of us. He always keeps his promises and that's part of Jesus's mission. That's part of our mission. And then finally, verse nine, in order that he, the Gentiles might glorify God. So Jesus came to show that God is glorious. He is glorious in everything, that everything that he makes and everything that he does is glorious and we're to bring him glory. The mountains I'm going to him today, point to the glory of God. Their beauty is to the glory of God. Your marriage ought to point to the glory of God. Your life ought to point to the glory of God. And if people aren't seeing that, then it's time to ask some tough questions. Scripture is our guide. Verses five to seven. Let's go back up there to, there, uh, to that part. He's praying here. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God. I mean, this is harmony and unity. The night Jesus was arrested, he was praying that you and I would be united to him. So this is a huge major deal. You know, most churches we see fighting and bickering over these things. And it's like, we have got to rise above that. We've got to fight for unity, handle each other, deal with each other appropriately when our opinions differ, but rally around the one voice of Jesus. Um, A.W. Tozer in the pursuit of God's 
has a good analogy. He says that imagine there's 100 pianos in here. Um, and those pianos were all tuned to the same fork. And, and if they're tuned to the same fork, then they will all have the same pitch. They will all sound the same. Not because they you know, were together and they kind of learned. It was because they had one standard. One, one standard that they bowed down to. And by tuning themselves to that fork, they all sound alike. And so for us, the analogy is that if you and I will bow down and give glory to this Jesus, our Savior, then we will all sound the same. We may have different opinions, and that's cool, but one voice and one accord, we will bring glory to God. And that's his prayer. See, I think with one accord, with one voice, uh, literally with one mouth, um, this, this is the heart of the issue. In verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so we, we close this prayer and this idea of unity with hope, that there is hope for your relationships. There is hope with your personality that you think, man, I just can't change. I'm, I'm an idiot and I fail. There is hope there because through Christ there's change and there's power. And he's calling us, and listen, listen, if we can get this right, if we can, if we can have one voice and, and, and together in this community, we can, we can be of one accord for the glory of God. I truly believe that we can change the city. Truly believe we can change parts of the world together. I mean, this is the only way. If you and I will, will bow down to the glory of God, it will begin to change our relationships. If you and I are willing to walk with those around us that frustrate us, maybe that insult us, maybe that, that, that you know, are, are, are messy and they keep messing up, if we're willing to walk with them for the glory of God, he will bless that and he will bless your life. We're going to close today with a response time of, of just honoring the Lord by, by, by praying for unity. I want to ask you to pray for unity in our staff, in our church, in your family. Pray for unity so that we could be of one voice and one accord in this community. Thanks for listening. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com.